0: This paid podcast is a partnership between Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. All uses of trademarks or brands are not meant to convey sponsorship or affiliation of this podcast. From Century 21 Real Estate, this is The Relentless, the podcast that looks at sales differently. As entrepreneurs, we write our own playbooks. When we're thrown off course, when assumptions hold us back, we find a way to move fearlessly, in a different direction. I'm Kristen Meinzer. I'm an author, entrepreneur, and podcast host. And in a world filled with noise, there's a superpower I've developed that's helped me more than anything else. Never letting fear get in the way. That means building up confidence, taking risks, and tackling the really hard problems. And that's what we're exploring this season. How can we move fearlessly in a world filled with potential obstacles? Get ready to meet the people who transform what scares them into something that inspires them. It's time to move fearlessly and stay relentless.
1: I come from a country that is beautiful and full of mountains, but it was always so scary. I mean, we knew mountaineering as the toughest of the tough. You know, the most brave, courageous people, and, and I never saw
0: myself that way. That is Sylvia Vasquez Lovato. Today, she's a social entrepreneur and technologist. And about 10 years ago, she had a startling vision. She pictured herself as a mountain climber.
1: It actually started with a very spiritual experience. And I was going through a really hard time in my life. And so on this particular vision, I saw that little child inside of me that had been having just the most horrific experiences, and I saw her On a corner, and then I saw myself as an adult embracing this little girl, all of a sudden I hear these rumblings and these mountains and valleys, and my little girl is who pulled me into walking into these mountains. That vision was so powerful for me that there was something about it like, well, why don't I go to a mountain? And that led me to to be a little adventurous and say, well, you know what? Why don't I go to the tallest mountain
0: in the world? And so that is what, what started my journey. In 2016, Sylvia fulfilled her vision in the most extreme way imaginable. She climbed Mount Everest. And then over the next two years, she reached the highest peaks on every other continent, also known as the Seven Summits. In the process, she became the first Peruvian woman and the first openly gay woman to do so. She describes that journey and many more in her new book, In the Shadow of the Mountain. It had me sucked in from the very first page. I could not put it down. And I'm thrilled to have her here today on The Relentless. Sylvia, welcome to the show.
1: Kristen, what an honor to be here. I am so, so thrilled,
0: excited. Thank you so much. Well, Sylvia, to start things off, I would love it if you could read this passage right here from the opening chapter of your book. It describes a moment from your climb of Mount Everest Yeah, every time I
1: I think of this moment, it still gets me. So we are on our push for the summit. In order to climb Everest because of the altitude, you need to almost do three rotations on the mountain. So here we are on our final rotation. If everything goes perfect, we are two days away from a push to the summit. So here I am at close to 24,000 feet. And this is what I'm experiencing right now. So let's start. Each fixed rope up is about 150 feet long. At the end of a segment, we had to unclip our jumar from the climbing harness and attach it to the next rope. The moment between ropes is the most dangerous. It is a two-step process. You must always remain attached to the fixed line by at least one device to avoid sipping down the wall. Being unclipped here is suicide. I dig my crampons into the ice as hard as I can to keep my balance while clipping out. Just then, the wind starts to shriek, launching rocks the size of a gallon jug of water straight towards us. Shards break away from the wall and thud against my helmet. My goggles rattle. I kneel down and press my head against the face. Up ahead, Camp 3, which I had easily seen from this spot on our second rotation, is a blur. I squint to make out, but the clouds are thick billows of cotton candy, a sight that would be sweet, beautiful even anywhere else, but it's not a good sign here. We can survive the wisp of spun sugar clouds that break away from the clump. Those are mild mini-storms and pass fast, but if the whole cap descends on us, there's nowhere to go. Up this high, scenery takes on a different meaning. Mystical cloud formations harbor avalanches, piles of whipped cream snow are pocketed underneath with icy fractures that might eat a leg, or worst case, an entire body. Beauty and death are two sides of the same
0: coin. Oh my gosh, it's like 90 degrees in my apartment now, but I have chills. (laughs) You (laughs) have painted this vivid picture, this extreme landscape amid a jumble of emotions this is you know not just the physicality of the space but it, what is happening inside of you just oh my gosh i have shivers <laughs> beauty and death two sides of the same coin what does that mean to you can you explain that to us yes
1: and and, and i love because it brings me back i mean here i am pursuing my dream the mountain is about to kill me, but it's still like the sights that I'm having is just unreal. It's beautiful. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. In this extreme environment, you know, here I am pursuing this impossible dream. When you still look at the statistics of, of the people that have done Everest, it's still very, very few of us. And on the other hand, too, it's incredibly dangerous. And to me, that was really, you know, it was a massive wake-up call. And it allowed me to realize, wait a minute, you know, I, I want to stay alive. I I think it allowed me to value my life. And in a way, when when we are pursuing a dream that looks impossible, the setbacks can look scary. But we're humans, we're going to have a bad experience, but it's it's not the time to give up. Let's talk about
0: this some more. Yes. There's risk (laughs) and there's vulnerability throughout your climbs. We're dealing with avalanches potentially being unclipped. Uh, There's plenty to worry about as you climb Everest, Do you remember how you managed the fear in those moments? Because you don't hide the fact that you feel fear in your book. You admit to it. Yes, yes.
1: And actually, every time I read, especially one of the mountain passages, I mean, I, I get a visceral reaction. It puts me back into it. Unfortunately, when you're in a mountain, you lose control. And there can be an avalanche. There can be an earthquake. There can be so many things that can happen, winds, especially storms that can happen unexpectedly. So you're at the mercy of the mountain. So for me, the way that I manage fear, I had to stay present. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful experiences to just stare at fear in front of you. And if you are able to just stay present, block thoughts, block block all the chatter, especially when you know your life is on the line. I've given this advice to many people. I mean, what I would do, especially when doing things that seem just scary and when things were out of our control changing... I would just count. Mm. I would just simply get, get distracted and just stay present and count and just try to take it, trusting that I knew what I was doing. I was in an expedition. I was with other people. There was a way to communicate. But it was definitely just managing my, my own emotions. I mean, calming myself down. I've been able to learn through some of these crazy experiences is that the more agitated you get, the worse that it gets. But it's still, it's just just, just staying present. Just staying present. It's like, don't, don't go even like two minutes ahead. Just, just stay with the moment. Just embrace the moment.
0: Feel the moment. Yeah, and that wisdom is applicable not just when you're on Everest, but in life, we can all benefit from being in that moment when we're scared rather than ignoring it or pretending it's not there. But even when you're not on the mountain, you have moments of fear and you're staying present. Absolutely. I got to say, one thing I really love about your book is how you talk about opening yourself up to the mountain when you're on your climbs, how there are definitely those people out there, those adventurers who are saying, I'm here to conquer this. And that's not your mindset. How did you get your mind there where you're there in the moment with the mountain rather than trying to have ownership over it? Well, I have to tell you,
1: I, I have, I think, allergies to the word conquering. It's, uh, I, I, I was born and raised in Peru and we were so used to that word, the conquerors, you know, conquering is control. And, and so from the very beginning and even what led me into climbing, just, I, it, it was something more of an experience of surrendering and a lot of vulnerability. So even my very first exposure to, to the Himalayas, they are so massive and you are so little that it put it in perspective as to like, really? I'm the one who's going to conquer this? I'm an ant. I mean, these <laughs> mountains have been in existence for millions of years, and they still are going to be here even when I'm gone. And so for me, any opportunity of having an experience of being in the mountain, of trying to get close to a summit, I feel is just a permission that the mountain is giving me this opportunity. So I treat it as a temple.
0: Your life story unfolds in such a powerful way. We get to see a different side of you, not just as an explorer, but also as a Silicon Valley executive. We see you recognizing your childhood trauma. Leaving Peru for the U.S. on a student visa, you ended up in Amish country in rural Pennsylvania. Can you talk more about some of these different sides of you?
1: When I came to the U.S., I I had already finished high school. And I, I kind of came as a way of escaping. So it was this, this new country, the new land of the dreams. And it, it definitely was hard because leaving your family is never easy. Leaving your community, leaving the things that, that made you who you are for good or bad. And even though I went to a very small place, I was very lucky that I was very open-minded to keep learning. And it is amazing how all the dots ultimately connect I mean my experience in the heart of the Amish country helped me when my work mm-hmm. sent me to live in a very small town in Switzerland. So it is one of those things that I feel, you know, all these experiences in lives are almost like little dots for the big picture that ultimately comes out. But but that was one of my my very first experiences as an immigrant. It was very very much this opportunity of learning, of listening, of of just, you know, understanding what what are the customs. As an immigrant, I didn't have a green card. I I knew I I was on a visa that I could always, you know, be kicked out, so so even then I think I I just took it up op- each opportunity and I remember I was very committed to to my work. And so I remember like my first job as as a waitress with my relatives in New York and and you know, I would be the happiest waitress. I I was just really learning. It it actually taught me the way of interacting with customers. And so it it was something that every single role that I've ever had, I think my attitude to it is just be present, you know. Give the best you can. I mean, just be happy,
0: and and that's the way that I I think I've I've taken the opportunities. And it paid off. From those waitressing days, you moved on and eventually became a titan of the tech world. In 2015, a year before you climbed Everest, CNET named you one of the most influential executives in Silicon Valley. You were the principal of Enterprise Technology and Financial Systems at PayPal. You had reached a professional summit in so many ways. But let's be honest, there have been a lot of obstacles in your climb to the top of your Mm -hmm. professional ladder. Can we talk about some of those obstacles?
1: Yes. I mean, being in the tech world is very well known. I mean, it's a very still male-dominated culture. Uh, As a Latina gay woman, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm kind of a unicorn, if anything. I mean, one of the things that I found it too, that was quite intimidating, how competitive it was. And, and if anything, maybe that kind of helped me in terms of my, my climbing experience, too. But, but just the competitiveness, you know, being able to bring a product to life and, and moving into deadlines and moving really fast. And it was really cutthroat in many ways. You know, you sometimes will be fighting for budget, I mean to launch a particular initiative and or to make your project be more visible. and And what it takes is for you to to completely market yourself, present it as the next biggest idea that is going to revolutionize the industry. And it comes down to truly believing in yourself, believing in the project that you're doing. and And that's something that i, I at the time, I was just in the process of learning. I, I think the mountains definitely taught me a lot of it, but but it was mm-hmm. also about, you know, not just believing in yourself, but, you know, believing in, in the concept, in the idea that you have.
0: Let's go back to mountains for a second. Yes. <laughs> After Everest, you kept climbing, not just any mountains, but each of the continent's highest summits, as we mentioned. What drove you to complete this goal? Uh, for me, the seven summits, I mean, started as a promise.
1: And so as I started them, each mountain kept teaching me something. I've been very lucky that to practice for any big mountains, I, I do a lot of little ones. And and I've, I mean, in some of the little ones, I've been in situations in which, you know, fortunately people have passed away. It's, I, mean, I never take for granted a mountain, regardless of the size. And so I think for me, learning each mountain was important. But I think what was important is also just the notion of keeping a promise to myself. But then, and, and as I talk about it in the book, I have a very horrible personal loss and I, I kind of promised that person that I love that I would continue with this journey. So even after I was done with Everest, I, I had one more mountain Denali, which I had attempted and I had failed a couple of times. And so to me, it became this thing about, well, I had made this promise. And, and so I'm, I'm very good about keeping my promises. Those promises that we make, just holding ourselves accountable, there's something powerful about being able to to complete it. I mean, there there's so incredible life lessons when you're able to follow through. It is so easy to promise left and right and then just let it go, but but for me, it was it just started with a promise and and I I just felt I didn't want to, you know, let life go and and just feel like well you know we skip that mm-hmm. no it, it's an, a, a self accountability that I had put myself through.
0: And what was the value to you? of being the first Peruvian and the first openly gay woman to climb all these summits? It's been about representation.
1: So I had imagined that maybe there had been some predecessors. And so when I realized that I would be the face as, as, a, as an openly gay woman, to me, it was about representation because I realized in my expectations I wouldn't see a lot of gay people, I wouldn't see a lot of Latina people. And so the, the importance is representation. It's a way of building community. So, so that in a way is the reason that sharing the accolade is, is something that is quite meaningful. The manner that this is a non-issue, the manner that we can see that there is just you know hundreds or thousands of of people from diverse backgrounds being able to pursue this, I feel that you know well that would be the beauty. I mean, I I don't want to be the last. I, I mean, and so for me to share in the story is just too inviting for other people who still might feel a little bit marginalized that, no, you know, just somebody like me was able to do it. Let's, let's put the invite out and, and let's try to inspire others
0: to join. I think it's interesting that both of these things you're really known for, the tech space and mountaineering, are both very male-dominated, very white (laughs) male-dominated. Yes, they are. (laughs) So you're choosing to go into these spaces that are so challenging. Why are you choosing that? (laughs) (laughs) And how how does one help the other? I I mean, I'm I'm guessing all your experience in the tech world helped you in the culture of climbing, right? Well, I have to tell you, I mean, when
1: I get to the base of Everest, and I'm the only woman with seven other guys— And we joke about the bro culture in the tech world. Well, just imagine, you know, the mountain (laughs) culture, which is all... I remember coming in and going like, oh, God, okay, this is a typical, you know, kind of product (laughs) meeting. I mean, I'm one of the few women here. And so it was intimidating. But I think what really helped me is to also know that I had earned my space, that I wasn't showing up without experience. I knew that I had been working really hard for that opportunity. And that's one of the experiences that I loved about these journeys. I mean, at the end of the day, you're there on your own. You you have to be, I mean, nobody's going to push you up. You're going to have to to just rely on just your own body, on your own two little legs. And, and that was one of the beautiful experiences. I mean, when I was so close to the summit, I, the sun was coming out. And I remember just having this unobstructed view of the world. And I just looked down on my little legs and I'm like, wow. I got myself here, and and that was so powerful. It was a beautiful opportunity of self-appreciation. It would be amazing for all of us, and especially for all the listeners, to just remember that. You know, we can be so hard on ourselves, but, you know, sometimes take a moment and to realize how far we have
0: come. Well, you actually do that. You do impart that message through your social entrepreneurship at this point. You started a nonprofit called Courageous Girls, can you tell us uh, about its mission and its activities and how you impart that spirit that you're talking about uh, on those who are in your organization?
1: Yes. I mean, it, it's been an, an even the way that, that Courageous Girls came. When the idea came in in terms of, you know, working with survivors, I mean, it originally started with bringing them to the base of Everest. I remember with, with the concept, I'm like, okay, what if, you know, nature has healed me, has given me this incredible opportunities for growth. Can this work on other people? And it did. And and when I saw that, and when I saw how young women were able to just embrace their strength, embrace their, their own personas with something, okay, have we expanded? And so what Courageous Girls does, you know, we work with survivors of sexual violence. And, and especially we're focusing Nepal and Peru but we bring them opportunities of of kind of becoming leaders by by just developing the leadership in nature and and nature has been so healing so what we're currently doing right now we're running different programs uh we just got a grant to work with 135 young women in Nepal and allowing them to just have this experience of of just getting to know, just their own leadership through through just outdoor activities. You know, the minute that you're able to heal that part of self, which is something that I love that mountains and being in nature does, it allows you to, to just be present. It allows you to almost become whole. And once you are able to, to put that puzzle together, then it allows you to see, okay, what else do you want in life? And so we're trying to revolutionize a little bit of of the idea of the trekking industry, which is still very male-oriented. And so piloting this incredible program in Nepal at a large scale, just to see how we can learn and have these young women start leading others is something that it is quite exciting.
0: Now, a lot of our listeners are in the real estate space, which is an industry that requires its agents and brokers to be Mentally prepared for highs and lows and unexpected shifts. And I'm wondering whether you're on the mountaintop or in Silicon Valley, what kind of mental preparation helps you and others out there with that kind of volatility, those highs, those lows, those ups, those downs? I mean, real estate
1: is a, it's a secret passion of mine. I've I've been very fortunate to have been involved in three transactions in my life and still I'm hoping to, to get more involved, but it is interesting because I think, you know, for, for real estate, it's truly another dream. You know, the idea of, of buying a home for people can be just so daunting. So I would say just being able to be communicative, you know, setting the expectations of, of what they're going to go through. I mean, not, not try to sugarcoat it. One, one of the things that I've learned from mountains, and I was always afraid in the tech world, is the idea of failure is the idea mm-hmm. of, of just setbacks. And, you know, in, in the world of real estate, there's a lot of them, especially, you know, as a buyer, you might want to be able, like, this is the dream home that you find and you feel like, I want to get it, and then you, you are not able to get it, and then it is frustrating. But, you know, definitely shoot for the moon. Even if you're not able to get through something, something else will open up. And that is something that I, I remember has helped me through a lot of my mountain experiences. I mean, that journey in which we are caught up in a horrible storm and I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to give up. I I'm, I feel my mortality. I feel I'm going to die and I'm ready to like close shop, turn around and being like, OK, I'm crazy to think that I could do this dream. And and I remember the advice that a fellow mountaineer had given me at the very start of the journey to say, Sylvia, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to want to quit when that happens and don't do it. You know, just trust It's just a bad day. And, and so that motto has driven me through this whole journey up to now. And so in terms of this experience, yeah, there's going to be a bad day. There's going to be a bad month. There's going to be a bad quarter, even a bad year. But the sun is still going to come out. You know, the storm almost killed me. And then within like an hour later, the gorgeous sun is out there like, nothing happened, <laughs> like, hey, I'm here. And And so just how to apply that to To this everyday life, I, I think that would be one of one of the pieces that you know. My biggest advice is is just trust. And what are you excited about for the future? Ooh, <laughs> I'm so grateful. There are so many exciting things. The fact that I was able to to bring my book to life, publish my my memoir. And that, you know, we've been able to bring it to so many languages and that, you know, we also sold the book to film rights. So my story is getting turned into a film. Uh, it is a true dream. I, I call myself the gay Cinderella. I'm, I'm literally living my own gay Cinderella fantasy, uh, <laughs> and you know, but I'm not looking for for any prince. Uh, but it is just this this beautiful journey that that I think keeps me humble because I, I just I I never imagined something like this was going to happen. I'm just grateful that you know this this journey of that started with reconnecting with the little girl inside of me and took this leap of faith has has opened up these wonderful doors.
0: Sylvia Vasquez-Lovato, this has been so inspiring. Thank you for joining us today on The Relentless. Thank you so much. Thank you to you, to Century 21. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I am honored. While the Midwest has very few steep hills, Adam Olberski has figured out a way to scale some very impressive peaks when it comes to sales. Adam is the owner and broker of Century 21 Curran and Oberski, an award-winning brokerage with four offices across the Detroit area. In just four years since he took the helm, his achievements have been astounding. A 49% increase in agents, the per-person productivity award, the top commercial company award, and the team's agents regularly rank in the top 21 global list for the brand. Adam, welcome to The Relentless.
2: Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you.
0: Now, earlier in this episode, we heard from a tech executive turned mountaineer. She has climbed the world's highest summits on every continent, and now she is a social entrepreneur. Do you have an outside passion, something that helps give you entrepreneurial drive or give you perspective on your entrepreneurial journey?
2: Yeah, well, I'm a father of three young boys, eight, six, and four, and have an amazing wife, they're by far my biggest motivation. But, you know, as far as external things, you know, during COVID, when everybody was locked down, I have a a great friend and mentor that I really admire, and I was sitting next to him at a conference, and he looked at me and said, you know, you ever thought about doing an Ironman? (gasps) I said, yeah. And my wife said, oh, no.
0: (laughs) I'm with your wife here.
2: (laughs) So, So 10 months later my colleague and I, and actually we enlisted two other people, including Mike Meadler, the president of Century 21. We took on the, you know, monotonous task and challenging task and fun task of training for Ironman Florida. And all four of us accomplished that task as well. And we, uh, not only that one, but we, a couple of us actually went on and did a second Ironman as well. So during the COVID shutdown, when everyone's going through all these things, you know we we said what what challenge can we can we take on that will keep us focused and keep us moving forward with our mission you know personally and professionally and so did two ironmans in a period of 12 months and uh, three marathons in that time frame as well
0: remind people what an ironman is this is not just a jog and a bike ride this is so much more
2: <laughs> it's a 2.4 mile swim in the ocean it's a 112 mile bike And then it's a marathon.
0: I'm curious, how did going through this torture feed your motivation, your sales skills, and your teamwork?
2: You you generally aren't doing things for, you know, for, for yourself. And after I did my first one, had several people reach out and join the cause for the second one because they were inspired. You know, what was very cool is on the heels of this, the Detroit Marathon right here in our backyard... We had about 50-plus people from our company and then also just people kind of connected to our brokerage that committed to either the Detroit full marathon, half marathon, or 5K. Several of them, it was the first event they've ever done. So it was a very cool cultural thing. It inspired the heck out of me to see everybody taking on these challenges as well. So I knew some people drew some motivation from me doing those things, and that, that was pretty cool, too.
0: Now... All the season, we're exploring different aspects of what it means to move fearlessly. When you hear the phrase, move fearlessly, what does that mean to you?
2: It's interesting. Over the weekend, I was talking with a friend of mine, and we were talking about the roles of entrepreneurs or the roles of sales professionals. And we are in a, you know, what have you done for me lately business? There's no resting on the success that you had yesterday or last year and you know there are people setting out every single day to take your listings to take your clients and you just have to wake up every single day and continue to do the basics at a higher level than you know those around you and continue to operate fearlessly and not you know not allowing the outside distractions or the the other things that are always going to be there to slow you down or stop you from getting up every single day and putting in the the work, even when times are hard. At every one of our offices, we have a picture of a racehorse with blinders on next to their eyes. And, you know, every one of my agents has heard this story several times, but we preach very often about, you know, success in business, success in real estate, success in life, there is no fast lane. And if you look at a racehorse, you know, they are fed, they are trained, they sleep, their entire life, they are built for those you know, 60 seconds or what have you running around the track. And they put blinders on them because if they don't have blinders on and they see a horse running next to them or something distracts them in the stands, we've all seen the horse run into the infield or run up into the stands or whatever whatever may happen. And that horse that was trained and built to go have success in that short period of time Can get distracted and off track like that and we always tell real estate professionals you're going to get emails every single day you're going to get you know bumped and bruised and you're going to have a lot of people putting a lot of shiny objects in front of you and luckily we have a lot of you know time tested world best producing real estate agents right here at kern and oberski that can attest to this and we tell everybody you have to keep your blinders on you have to show up every day and you have to train and you have to work hard and it's not going to be easy. But if you take those blinders off, it's easy to get off course and it's easy to get distracted and no good can come from that.
0: Such great advice, Adam. And uh, clearly it's working. You're doing great. (laughs) Adam, this has been such a delight. Thank you for joining us today on The Relentless. Thank you. The Relentless is produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Century 21 Real Estate. You can find out more about the guests you heard in today's show and discover more great material from our Century 21 partners at slate.com slash c21relentless. I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening. All rights reserved. Nothing herein is intended to create an employment relationship. Century 21 Real Estate LLC fully supports the principles of the Fair Housing Act and the Equal Opportunity Act. Each office is independently owned and operated. This material may contain suggestions and best practices that you may use at your discretion.